spoil the movie by adding your own commentary. Hello and welcome to Sideflix, a podcast where we see what's in theaters so you don't have to. My name is Christian Skellian. I'm Julia Pershing. And we saw a Pixar movie. I think we were the oldest people in the theater that did not have kids with them. I think you're correct. Which is fine. I love seeing kids movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kitty lit in children's media is really important. Um, it was fun to see uh, Lightyear, the newest addition to the Toy Story series franchise. Um, but I have some thoughts, you know? As do I. Yeah, um, this movie was directed and co-written by Angus McLean, who did Finding Dory. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> didn't love Finding Dory. There you go. I'll keep it me, real with you. Me neither. Um, but he's been with Pixar since 97, so this is like a... Ground floor Toy Story man. Totally. Um, it stars Chris Evans, as most of you may know, um, and Uzo Aduba as his best friend, Alicia, Kiki Palmer as Alicia's granddaughter, and Taika Waititi as a young recruit, um, and Peter Son, who does a lot of animation for Pixar, as Socks the Robot Cat. I loved socks. Loved socks. I, I love I love a companion, you know? Yeah, you can't have a Pixar movie without just like an annoying talking animal or robot or as the a, case may Or be. a not talking animal because Pascal doesn't talk in Tangled. True, but he says so much. With his weird eyes and tongue. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um tongue acting. I will say, you know, the I you know I'm you know I'm a frozen stan. Love I do frozen. know this. The one thing I hate about Frozen. Olaf. Hate him. (laughs) Shut up. Get out of here. He's just too annoying. I don't find him charming. Yeah, he doesn't really have like a a redeeming moment because his his little song is the worst. Yeah. I can't believe they took until the second movie to give Jonathan Groff a ballad. A power ballad. Come on, it's what he's built for. I literally could not believe that. Ugh. Put some put some respect on Jesse St. James's name. Um, anyway, Lightyear. Anyway, Lightyear. So Pixar's Lightyear, Disney Pixar's Lightyear. Julia, what are your first thoughts coming out the gate about this movie? I am really glad we saw it with uh, in a theater full of kids. Me too. I think that sometimes, you know, because I'm looking for the parts that are angled at me, I don't always feel like I'm appreciating the stuff that the movie, for the audience, the movie is actually made for. Mm-hmm. So it was fun hearing the little, like, chattering so cute when text comes up on and you just hear an entire theater of parents reading it out loud to their kids. <laughs> yes, that's actually kind of an important um, tidbit about this movie is when this was announced, everybody was like, is Buzz Lightyear a real person? Is this about a movie? Like, where exactly in the universe does this fall? And we get a title card at the beginning that basically tells us that this is the movie that Andy saw in 1995. Let that sink in for just a moment in 1995. And that is where the Buzz Lightyear action figure comes from, from that movie that we are about to watch. And um, I don't know how successful it was. I honestly, yeah. Well, one, if you were trying to replicate a children's movie from the 90s, kind of fell flat. Like there is a sort of level of like... um, deep optimism and like the avant-garde that goes into a lot of 90s children's media like some mm-hmm. of it was kind of disturbing but in a way where like the message was that like people are good and this movie is a little cynical oh say more um i will say so we we meet our our main character buzz and uh he accidentally strands his crew of um they're basically like starfleet 
Yes. What do they call themselves? Space? Star Command. Star Command. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on a uh, an alien planet that is almost uninhabitable, and he uh, is trying anything to get them off the planet. And while he is doing this and trying to test these hyperspeed crystals, basically a warp core. Um, this is going to be a lot of Star Trek talk, just for, like <laughs> reference and clarification. I think people are prepared. Yeah. Um, if you are not prepared to hear us <laughs> talk about Star Trek, why are you listening to Side Flex? Um, and uh, as life, it, it when he t- takes these missions going through warp speed, it only takes him, he only ages a couple of minutes, but everybody on the planet below him ages four years. And this whole movie is basically about him, like, denying that life is going on around him and mm-hmm. people are like growing up and making connections and like making life and like a positive force on this planet that they're stranded on and he kind of is so upset with his own failure he refuses to engage with life again it's very dark for yes. a kids movie and I, the thing that i compared this to and i'll compare it again um later is to add astra which is about an astronaut who kind of can only stay in space because he can't function on earth mm-hmm and I thought that that was um, an interesting take. Obviously, all of the Disney Pixar movies are about big themes and then made appropriate for children. I don't really know how accessible that is for kids. Yeah, I would agree with you. Part of the thing that kind of frustrated me when we were watching this is I couldn't really figure out genuinely who this movie was for. Yeah. Because ostensibly it's for kids but it's also kind of for the you know young adults who grew up with toy story yeah it's like technically for people our age Mm -hmm. you know and while that kind of cynicism is something that i like don't have a problem engaging with in other kinds of media it felt really out of place here and i think it kind of destabilized the like emotional center of the sh- of the movie, I agree, and also kind of weakens the the story that we hear. You know, the idea that this is the movie that Andy watched that made him obsessed with Buzz Lightyear because mm-hmm. the Toy Story franchise is very optimistic. It is so hopeful. It is so soulful. And this actually reads a little bit more like Cars. It's kind of like a jerk of a guy has to learn that he needs people, but there's so little character development on Buzz's part yeah that it, it kind of doesn't work and I think part of that has to do with the pacing so we never really see him have to spend any time on the planet as other people are aging because he just keeps getting back in the ship and doing it over and over and over again it is very much structured like the beginning of up yeah um and then by the time he re- he realizes that everybody is like dying dying dead and gone he only even really stays around because he gets marooned on the planet it's it's weird because it it feels like it, it, I just I'm not entirely sure you know hmm I, it feel like that feels like you know it feels like a kind of slightly like Peter Pan syndrome about not being able to like live in a society and stuff mm-hmm. and I just don't really know why that that would be the story that you would tell children yeah well one of the big recurring Uh, parts of this movie is that Buzz wants to be a space ranger again that's his job this is like whole reason for living he's 
very upset and like disappointed in himself that he ruined Alicia, his best friend's chances at continuing to be a space ranger when it doesn't seem to bother her at all. No, because she builds this life. It's like a projection. Mm-hmm. His, it's his own. It's a projection of his own failures, which I do think is interesting. Um, but he, you know, even when he finally does make it back on planet and he's spending time with, um. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. Alicia's, Izzy? Izzy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Izzy and the other two... Mo. Mo and... Vamp and- for time, I'll look it up, but yeah, continue. Yeah, the, the other two junior recruits. It takes until like the last third of the movie for him to really realize he needs people. Right? Which... Because, you know, yeah. if, if you're talking about Up, which like is similar... uh. Carl realizes that he loves Russell way earlier than that, right? That's where the stakes from the latter half of the movie come from. Mm-hmm. Whereas this movie is so action-dense, it's so removed from any kind of relationship building. Because we're just told that Alicia and Buzz are best friends. We really don't see them, you know, even even when she's like, I'm going to, she gives she sends this message being like, I'm going to die while you're off planet. And it doesn't even hold the weight that it should because he's never tried to exist in the world that she's built for herself, right? Mm-hmm. And then it takes, you know, a long time for him to really start, like, feeling like he is protective over the junior recruits rather than them being a burden, and it takes way too long into the movie. And then we find out the reveal at the end is that Zerg, who is the big villain of the Buzz Lightyear universe, as we learn in Toy Story, Toy Story, Toy Story 2, um, is actually a version of Buzz from the future, who figured out he could time travel back in the past and he's trying to make it so Buzz never crashes the ship and nobody ever has to live on this planet. I have to admit, my little 10-year-old self was so disappointed that that was the reveal. Like, I wanted it to just kind of be like a Frozone. Or no, not a Frozone. A sy- syndrome. Syndrome situation, like where he is just, he is a bad guy. Yeah. He's a different bad guy. Because... You know, that is the question that the movie is wrestling with is like regret. And, you know, if you can go back to the past, is that the right thing? And you're, you know, talking about how it was like uh, Hawthorne, Alicia, Mm -hmm. is like so empathetic towards Buzz needing to, you know, go back into the past to figure out how to get them back to where they were while she's living her whole life. And he can't extend to her the same empathy. And it takes way until the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I thought that that, I thought the relationship building was poorly paced. I think the sort of lesson learning was a little bit too dark and inaccessible for like a childhood audience. And also at the end, once Buzz realizes that his mission like rots him and makes him unable to empathize with people and not understand that the the lives that have been built on this planet have value, he kills that version of himself. And it is like, they just don't talk about it. He blows him up with a crystal. Oh, like he is in pieces in space. That's not even ambiguous at all. Yeah. I I think, and that's another thing that makes it really seem like Ad Astra, because at the end of Ad Astra, when Brad Pitt finally finds his dad, Tommy Tommy Lee Jones is about to like murder (laughs) planet Earth and he Mm -hmm. has to kill his dad. Yeah. And I'm like... Okay, it's interesting, and again, that's obviously not the only space movie we're pulling from. The time travel thing is obviously, like, very much related to Interstellar. We're pulling into all of these big space movies, but these movies, those are all movies for adults with, like, adult themes, and I think that there is a good children's movie in here. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that it's the one they made. 
Which is such a bummer because Toy Story consistently is the strongest franchise of Pixar. Yeah. Like, it is amazing how successful Toy Story 2 is and even Toy Story 3. Oh, Toy Story 3 is perhaps the best one. Yeah. It is incredible. And so to have this... And I didn't see Toy Story 4, so I can't comment on it. Oh, neither can I. There's a spork. Cool. Right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It... (laughs) It really just feels like an entry into like the commercialism aspect of Toy Story. I was about to talk about how this is paced just like a Marvel movie, but I feel like you mm-hmm. have a point to go on. Oh, um, you know, there there's a really great review um, in Slate that was written by Dana, Dana Stevens. Um, and, you know, they say that if the point of the original was that a child's love can rescue even the most mass-produced consumer product from meaninglessness, Lightyear is a commercially motivated attempt to reverse engineer that piece of disposable mass culture that inspired the product in the first place. Like, it's it's not actually saying anything about the human experience. It's trying to tell us why the toy is important. Yeah, but the toy is in, the toy has value because the child gives it value. It comes mm-hmm. from the love produced there. Not and if we're trying to see a movie that and that made Andy feel that way, I didn't see that movie. No. I saw a movie where I'm like Andy would have wanted socks. Yeah, Andy would have wanted socks because socks is the toy, mm-hmm. right? He is yeah. the toy. And I, you know, if if like we had if we had seen a similar journey as we see to Carl and Lightning McQueen, I would have felt more like, yeah, I I, I identify or I like with this guy. You know, mm-hmm. I like the journey he goes on. But again, the pacing is wackadoodle. It's so action heavy, and we really do not actually see enough relationship building. Amongst, not at all amongst these characters. There's no, there's no room to breathe. I think was my one of my biggest complaints, and I feel like I'm comparing this to The Incredibles in my head a lot because it's the other like Pixar action film that I can think of Mm -hmm. but there are so many very quiet moments in that movie where people are just having interpersonal conversations and there are a few like there's a a scene that I thought was kind of charming where they're talking about the evolution of the sandwich because sandwiches as Buzz know them are bread meat bread Mm -hmm. but in the future it's meat bread meat ew disgusting but like that was kind of the only moment where I'm like you people are actually having a conversation and demonstrating to Buzz how much has changed because he doesn't really get it yeah and I wanted so much more of that and I think there's elements that like comparable elements like the time that the the times in cars where Lightning McQueen has to like really experience life in Radiator Springs Mm -hmm. Buzz because he's just decided not to live life it's not even that he like doesn't have a grasp on like what culture has come to come into it's like there's not even time in this movie to really exemplify that except for the vending machine sandwich Mm -hmm. which i think is odd because at no like buzz doesn't even look around to be like where did all this infrastructure come from you know well he gives it like because a glance yeah well also and if he did actually sit there and think about how far society has progressed his whole mission to get everybody off is like that illusion is shattered because then you have to assign value to the life here, right? Yeah, I find it extremely odd that that's not a conversation he has with Alicia before she dies. Yeah. And I, I get that like yeah. doing the like ghost thing is supposed to be the thing that really settles it in for him, but it doesn't again for like another half hour of the movie. Oh, by the way, this movie is way too long. It's too it's an hour and 45 minutes. Which I could tell the toddlers around us were getting bored. Yeah, they were antsy. They were so antsy. We got a lot of seat bouncing, which I was enjoying being around kids. So that doesn't bother me. But Mm -hmm. I was like, this movie is too long. 
yeah, by at least, I think, 20 minutes, which is, oof, saying something. Because an hour 45 is short. Yeah. Short for a movie for a grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure every movie in the Disney Renaissance is 90 minutes. Yeah. A tight 90. A tight 90. We love it. For Disney Circulars. Um, yeah. And like I said, like, again, it's giving Marvel movie. The, the, the placement of the action scenes are almost identical to the way those movies are set up. The sort of, like, faux, like, moral quandary identity. The... Chris Evans of it all. I actually was going to ask you. Yeah. Do you think that your impression of this as a Marvel film might have changed if Chris Evans were not the one voicing Buzz? I think I still. I think I still would have picked up on the pacing. Mm-hmm. Also, at this point, like Disney owns so many souls, so so much property, so much that yeah. if it was if it wasn't you know Chris Evans, who's to say it wouldn't have been Anthony Mackie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a Captain America type. A Captain America type, yeah. Yeah. And that's disappointing just to think about how strong the, like, Disney monopoly is. Mm -hmm. But, like, Chris Evans being the voice is, you know, interesting, especially since it's, like, this... There's a sort of deeper meta level about this being about legacy and Chris Evans having stepped away from the movie that made him... The movie... Himself? Yeah. Like, Chris Evans with a, you know... Capital C, capital E. Yeah. Um, so that, like, the, the metatextual, like, energy is interesting to analyze from my perspective. Kids don't know that he's, I mean, kids do know that he's Captain America, but I don't think that they were really processing that he, that that guy who is Captain America is the guy who's Buzz Lightyear. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, beat for beat, the way this is set up is, like, Marvel movie. Like. Disaster. Disaster, action, disaster, action. Mm-hmm. Somebody messes up, action. Like, way too many action scenes. Again, then, detracting from some of the parts of the movie that really could have been, like, big, dramatic, interesting, entertaining moments. Yeah, again, like, you never, you're never asked to sit with any of these questions mm-hmm. that are being asked. Let's talk about some of the good things mm-hmm. in this movie. I really appreciated the diversity of the main cast. I think that, yeah, it... I can't even think of like pretty much any animated movie that looks this diverse mm-hmm. because right now we're sort of in a space where it's like we're going through diff- like culture by culture to make these movies. So we, you know, do Coco, Coco and, and Luca Moana and-, and Luca and Encanto, which are all awesome. Mm-hmm. But like, especially as an American watching this, this is more, um, reminiscent of the way that I look at the world because I live in a major city and I every there's all types of people around me and I think that that is really really cool because how often do like little black kids get to see themselves in animated movies and as space rangers no less and as astronauts yeah yeah it I mean it's another connection to Star Trek I think definitely Um, that that in in uh, honorific connection uh, to Star Trek what am I not being truly if I'm talking about Star Trek I'm being honorific but no like that is to say like that is the legacy of Star Trek was opening up space command space fleet to everybody Mm -hmm. and having like the exploration of the universe and like being the person who gets to do this and like being the hero to everybody and I I really thought that that was incredibly touching I completely agree and I also I he's in so much 
and uh, I I love it every time. Take away TT. Um, they just write roles that are take away TT, so take away TT can just come in and be take away TT. I don't have a problem with it yet, but I have no idea how long that's gonna last. <laughs> he just happens to be so good at being himself, you know. Yeah, um, I find him charming. I d- it. Yeah, I do find him find him charming. Um. And he's in a, a significant portion of the movie, too. Yeah. I kind of wasn't expecting that. He's definitely the biggest piece of humor besides socks, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this movie is nearly as funny as some of the other Pixar movies. It could have used It could have used to put that thing jokes. back where it came from or so help me. Because, like, Monsters, Inc. is maybe one of the funniest <laughs> movies I've ever seen. <laughs> By far. I, you know, that's an interesting thing about Pixar in general is how quotable these movies are and how that has worked its way into, like, very common lexicon yeah. in the U.S. And even if it's, like, memefied, like, Kachow mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's... But I don't think of anything from this script where I'm like, that's going to be quoted by kids forever. Well, the only thing that comes to mind is To Infinity and Beyond, which, which is, is from, from the first one. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it struggles with a a lack of memorability. Is that a word? Yeah. I, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think it's very memorable. Um, which is a bummer. You want it to be, you know? Yeah. I didn't, I did not go into this, like not wanting to like it. No. Again, I like, I'm a, I am not a Disney, I'm not a Disney, I'm not a Disney adult, but I do love Pixar and I do love Disney Pixar. And this was kind of a, I was like, meh. I th- it I, was like seeing like Cars too. It was like eh. find, Finding Dory. Finding, um, finding Dory for real. I, such a bummer because Finding Nemo is such a huge place in both of our hearts. Mm-hmm. It's just that when we say that we love children's media and we think it has a very important place in culture, that means it has to be good. Yeah. Because I don't know where this one's going to rank. Because it's mm-hmm. not like any of the kids in our theater walked out being like, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at a couple of different reviews and some people really liked it a whole lot more than we did Mm -hmm. um, and think that it sits a lot higher in the Pixar canon and maybe it is nostalgia goggles but I really don't think it is on our part yeah no because I actively still consume these things Mm -hmm. you know I watched Soul when it came out Mm -hmm. Coco I haven't seen Encanto yet but I'm going to and there's a difference between like the Pixar movies and the Disney Pixar musicals but like I'm it's not I I always want to like these things and I'm still pursuing them and Mm -hmm. seeing what's what's you know being marketed towards kids and and the kind of art we're making for them and this one just felt flat yeah um anything else you liked about it though um well because it's a pixar film it looked beautiful should we talk about some technical elements let's do it because i think that that's part of where this movie shines uh it is stunning and some like i think one of pixar's um greatest uh um elements of detail is texture Mm mm-hmm so much texture in this movie the way that dirt sits on the suits the way that like there's dings in the metal and rust and there's like this scene where there's like a hive of bugs and you see like these pulsating sacks which Mm -hmm. is gross super disgusting and it was also weird because this has to be the pixar movie that the only pixar movie that takes place this much at night yeah it was dark and it but it was beautiful. Like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't dark. And when you're wa- like when you're watching a Marvel movie and you're like, what the F is what, happening? What's going on? It was, it used light so beautifully. It was so excellently rendered. And I think the sort of setting they created this weird planet with the vines that, you know, snatch people out of the ground mm-hmm. and stuff. I thought it was really 
really brilliantly alien without being like too uncanny. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I also part of what helped with that, I think, is that, you know, they introduce it in the first couple of minutes, but then it's recurrent throughout the movie mm-hmm. that the vines are just kind of you just kind of deal with them. Yeah. And I like that we see people sort of evolve, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. To, to deal with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, the level of detail is always so impressive. I, I love the wear and tear on the spacesuits, like you mentioned, and even like the um, the texture of Izzy's hair. It was just so beautifully rendered. Yeah, yeah. It looked amazing. I I agree. I think I liked the character design. It's funny because, like, Buzz Lightyear does look like Buzz Lightyear, but also Buzz Lightyear just looks like Chris Evans. Amazing how they just predicted that one. Well, they just kind of gave him... He, they basically put Buzz Lightyear's face on Chris Evans' body and haircut. Yes, well, we've never seen Buzz with hair. Yeah. So this is brand new. He could have been blonde, though. He could have been a ginge. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All the choices that could have been. All the, the could have been. Um, I really liked the design of Socks. I liked how clearly he was a robot mm-hmm. um, because I think it would have been weird if he was like, you know, if like he looked too much like a cat and then yes. they, they had that scene where they think they killed him. But like mm-hmm. him being, he looked like, you know, those like um, robots, pets that were around when we were kids. Oh, that was the most 1995 thing about this movie. Yeah. yeah. I had one of those dogs that had like a little remote that could walk around the mm-hmm. house. The remote was not wireless. It was, that was the leash. <laughs> not long range. Not long range. No, it was literally connected to the dog and I was, it would walk around my house when I was like three. They're cute. They're very cute. But I, I appreciated that because it felt really of you know, time that this movie mm-hmm. was supposed to be made. I really liked the design of Socks, and I thought Socks was really fun. I Socks was kind of like the smart counterpart to Doug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have just met you, and I love you. Yeah. And Socks also had just met him and loved him, but Socks was also like... A programmed to programmed love him? To lo- no, but had like utility beyond just affection. Oh, I loved all of the bits where he like had a, a flame like a flamethrower in his mouth and like yeah he was like he's sort of like an inspector gadget type of thing an inspector gadget cat yeah yeah i really did like that i thought it was clever yeah um what else did you like i liked the design of the zerg robots um they remind me they reminded me of um big hero six actually yeah um they're they had a lot so much like weight to them like they were very clunky and i felt like that was very tangible for the audience um I thought sound was used really well. It's mm-hmm. always kind of hard because, like, there's a kind of really typical, um, like, sound structure that's used for space movies, and I feel like this slightly broke that mold a little bit. You know, there was no mm-hmm. somebody going out into space, and all of a sudden it's silent, which is what what happened because sound doesn't travel in space. But... Well, when that does happen, Izzy is, like, crossing between the airlock, and you hear her, like, labored breathing as she tries not to have a total panic. panic attack, yeah. And I, that's very relatable and fun. Yeah, I thought that that was really good. Um, I didn't love the score, and neither did you. Not that I had any qualms with it. I just couldn't remember a single piece of music I heard. Which is stunning, because the guy who scored this movie, his name is Michael Giacchino. He is three-quarters of the way to an EGOT. He scored Star Trek 09, The Incredibles, Up!, Pretty Which much Ratatouille up, like up has like the most recognizable score of any of the Pixar movies, with the exception of maybe Monsters Inc. Yes, and I mean I wonder if you know it's a situation where if I watched it again, I would be like, oh, I remember this from watching it for the first time because part of the reason why the Monsters Inc. theme song is 
burned into my brain is because I've watched Monsters Inc. 10,000 times. Okay, but think about like the first 10 minutes of Up and that music. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, you'll, yeah, you hear that and you cry, mm-hmm. right? I would hope that it's I would, automatic. I would hope that I would walk away from this not only having a theme I recognized, but one that was used through the movie at like, it didn't even feel like there was a through line to the scoring, which maybe somebody who watches this and knows more about music would be like, um, actually, which you're always free to, um, actually me. That's what Twitter is for. I, yeah. I just found it kind of unnoticeable. Bad Un- way. <laughs> unnoticeable. I also, um, not just the score, but the fact that there wasn't any recognizable like songs for the soundtrack. Yeah, which is funny because the all of the ads were playing David Bowie. Wh- yeah, I was half expecting to hear it at a certain point. Yeah. But I kind of don't, th- I don't know, it doesn't fit, I think, with the ending objective for Buzz, which is that he's... You know, he is a star man, but he needs to be earthbound as well. So yeah. maybe they were like, actually, just kidding. Maybe. But I don't know. Played in the beginning. I don't know. Especially when he's narrating his things. I thought that was a really funny detail. I thought it was too. Because I think that's a really great through line from Toy Story, where Buzz is like writing in a captain's log the whole time. And the idea that he's the only one who does it and it makes him a huge weirdo. Yeah. And I love that that there's the social aspect of him actually just being a weirdo who does it. That was a really cute detail and a a really nice through line piece. Um, Do you have any other thoughts on our technical elements? No, I think I kind of got through all of uh, my thoughts there. How about you? Um, I think I'm kind of in the same place. Mm-hmm. I feel like I want to talk a little bit about prequel culture, sequel culture. Mm. Well, it's interesting because the first movie we did for this podcast was Scream 5. And that was actually making an active commentary on sequel culture that was maybe not entirely successful. But this feels kind of unself-aware. I agree. And the thing the thing that I'm walking away from is that this story would not have been told had they not been borrowing from old IP. Mhm. They wouldn't have created a new story about a spaceman doing this. They did it because it's about Buzz Lightyear. And that's where I'm like, that should be the line to draw where the story isn't really worth telling if you can't tell it not using the IP that's already in your library. I agree. Um, especially when I think about, you know, and I, and I haven't seen Turning Red um, or Encanto yet, but you, everything that I've read about it and everything that I have seen in clips and stuff, it just seems so beautifully inventive and telling very specific stories. And this feels, again, like a, an attempt to um, appeal to a broader audience, but Pixar already has that built-in brand, like recognize brand recognition. That's there the word go. I was looking you, for. You got there. Yeah, it was it was touch and go for a second. Um, they have the brand recognition. Mm-hmm. They have built up this relationship with, um, with us, with like with millennials who are taking their kids to movies now. Like we have had a long standing relationship with Pixar they don't need to make movies that have quoth unquoth broad appeal because people will just go see what they make I also think that there is a huge disconnect right now between industry and consumer where the nostalgia culture really did work for a while Mm -hmm. when all of a sudden the world was falling apart and millennials who 
were, you know, experiencing the early part or mid part of their, uh, like, adulthood under the worst conditions circa, mm, I don't know, 2016? Just at a guess. <laughs> it, it was a serious move toward escapism for our generation. But right now, we all feel really cynical about this stuff. We don't really want to see Buzz Lightyear. Uh, most people I know heard that there was going to be a fourth story, fourth Toy Story. Fifth and Toy Story. Well, I'm talking about Toy Story 4. Oh, okay. Toy, Toy Story 4. And thought, why would they do that? They already concluded the series on the perfect ending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I think Stranger Things is starting to lose some of its like um grasp because when stranger things came out we were in the nostalgia era people really wanted to see something like that and now as we move through life people want to be more present and don't want to be romanticizing the past and this feels like right now we're in the resurface repurpose reboot remake era and nobody really wants that because those things already mean what they mean to people Trying to use reuse them usually just kind of ends up bastardizing them a little bit, and I'm so bored. Please bring me something new. Because Please. it doesn't add anything to the conversation. No. Again, what did this movie add to the conversation? It's I've seen Ad Astra, I've seen Up, I've seen Interstellar, and I've seen Cars. So, so I you got it all. Yep. I don't know. I was thinking a lot about um, Star Wars when we were watching this, and kind of how I think if it had come out when. Um, the first of the third series of Star Wars movies had come out that that would have been kind of an interesting link and I think the story would have been a little bit different but I think like it would have done better or maybe I would have had more room for it because we were not so inundated by reboot by reboot culture at that point well I think the Star Wars movies are the we're leading the charge of reboot culture Mm -hmm. yeah um and yeah, I think I think we're just at a little bit of burnout. I kind of, you know, I... Of course, it's advantageous to Disney to reboot and remake things because it means they don't have to pay anybody to create anything new. Boo. 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 But yeah, like, I don't want to sit here and be like, inherently, this was a cash grab. I think that, again, there is a good story somewhere in there. But trying to use all of these themes and all of these plot lines and all of these images from all of these other movies, both Pixar and all the space movies I've mentioned previously, do not a good movie make. And I just don't necessarily think this was set up for the success they wanted it to have. Totally agree. Cosign. Cosign. Do you... Okay, like let let's play. How would you fix this? How would you structure this movie? I think I would keep much of the first act the same. Um, I think that Buzz does need to do at least a few of those test runs. Um, but I would have him stay after he comes back and Alicia is dead, um, because you know the the program is ending or whatever. Um, and instead of making that the moment where he's like, I gotta, I gotta get off this planet, like, and having that jumpstart the next action sequence, I really want to sit with Buzz knowing the idea that he like, he lost his entire life with his best friend in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And where do you go from there? I needed to hear a conversation between Buzz and Alicia where she asks him to stay. Mm-hmm. I think he didn't need to do all of the test runs. I think it could have been a couple and then 
him to do one more and that be the one where he all of a sudden it takes way more than four years to get back and he comes back and everything has changed well it's 22 years the last time yeah Mm -hmm. i think but i think there should have been a big gap like that he comes back sees alicia as an old woman and that's when they talk i think he needed to actually see her i think the hologram thing weakened that point i totally agree um like I said, again, this is just kind of like a, a kid thing for me where I just wanted Emperor Zerg to be just an evil Emperor Zerg. Well, I would actually, like, I kind of think Syndrome is a good example of that. I think it could have been somebody who actually, it could have been another person who he stranded on this planet. Oh, I really thought that it was the rookie. Yeah. From the very beginning, I really thought it was him. And that would have been more interesting to me because then he could see not that his you know, own ideas would eventually destroy him, which is an interesting thing. I just don't think they handled it well. So Mm -hmm. if you're not going to handle it well, I would rather it be you destroyed my life this way and him being like, no, I actually made lives for other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a more organic way to come to that conclusion that the life on the planet he's stranded on is worth living when it is directly threatened by someone else. I agree. Um, I don't know. Did, was there something that you think would automatically or no, just like fix the issues in general. Well, one, I think there's a little bit too many shenanigans once he meets up with the junior team. Yeah. There's like a little too many like close calls and oh, this thing dropped and oh, like we need one really big mistake that it takes a long time to crawl out of, not a like 8,000 tiny mistakes that just made the movie longer. The humor wasn't very funny. Like I think that the point when Izzy ejects the fuel core. Mm-hmm. that could, should have been a way bigger hole to climb out of. They kind of got out of it way too quickly because they had already done this like weird shenanigan series of like, oops, we messed up. Oops, we messed up. Oops, look at how incompetent these idiots Buzz has to be with are. And that also delays him able be, finally being able to truly empathize with them. Oh, I think that's another issue of the like way too many themes packed into one movie because the whole reason that they're stuck on the planet in the first place is because of a mistake that Buzz made. And once he teams up with them, they're constantly making mistakes and the idea seems to be it's okay to forgive yourself for making mistakes which is a totally valid like lesson to impart upon young people mm-hmm. but um the fact that like buzz's mistake has massive consequences but then once we kind of move in and there's like the next generation their mistakes are easily corrected and do not have massive consequences mm-hmm. so that's frustrating yeah Because one of them needed to have big consequences so that it could be a stronger parallel Mm -hmm. to Buzz's big consequences. Yeah, too many shenanigans, too many weird action scenes. Like, everything was constantly, like, about to fall off a cliff and then didn't. And I'm like, that's a kid's movie thing, right? Mm -hmm. Why did that happen eight million times? It extended the runtime of this movie in a way that, like, was sort of, like, lacked value. Yes. Okay, so I would say that, like, I think... Buzz needed to come back and talk to Alicia. Mm-hmm. I think he needed to spend time in, dis- in in the society and decide that it was he didn't like it and then had to come back and really realize that it he did. And that's where this should have come from. Mm-hmm. I think there's so it is weighed down with so much weird extra baggage that it's missing just sort of like the basic plot points of a movie. Well, I, yeah, I it's think act structure is bad. Like they want to ask all of these crazy existential questions um but sometimes the simplest answer is the right one yeah yeah also it's asking too many questions if i was five watching this i'd be like i have no idea what this movie is about no 
Not a not a clue. Yeah. Again, it, the kids in our theater stopped caring. There's not yeah, there's not a simple through line. Yeah. It keeps getting cut up by the action sequences and by the too, the too many cooks. Yeah. Too many things. Yep. I agree. All right. So in typical side flicks fashion, we now have to give this movie a rating. Mm-hmm. A letter grade, if you will. Julia, what do you give Lightyear? I'm going to give it a very solid B. I'm going to give it a B minus. I think that's totally fair. I was bored. And I'm. it's not like kids movies bore me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not a snoot. I was just like, I will sit down right now and watch Monsters, Inc. All the way through. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Again, Frozen stand till I die. Yeah. And it's not like Frozen came out when I was a kid. It came out when I was like 18. <laughs> tangled. No. Yeah. So Tangled. Yeah. I'll watch it right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm going to give it a B minus. I think that's fair. I I tend towards a B just because I do think that Pixar, part of the beauty of it is how good everything looks and how fun it is to watch that animation. And that was not taken from me in this iteration of Buzz Lightyear mm-hmm. so I liked that this animation style didn't include the like giant eyeballs pointy face of like frozen and tangled before it mm-hmm. but yeah it's definitely going in a different direction um more human actually in a mm-hmm. good way not an uncanny way yeah I, th- I yeah I do think that they're 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 rounder mm-hmm. and that's positive to yeah. me um, so a B and a B minus. If you saw Lightyear, we want to hear your thoughts. Uh, let us know how your kids liked it because that interests me more than what to. Uh, I don't want to hear. People. I don't want to hear a critic who didn't ask their kids what they thought of Lightyear <laughs> writing anything. We just don't have. Any. We just don't have any kids. Um, if you liked this episode, you guys can follow us on Twitter at SideFlixPod. We have another podcast called uh, One Season Wonders where we review shows that only got one season at OSW Pod on Twitter and anywhere you get your podcasts. If you like MTV's Teen Wolf, you can listen to our Teen Wolf podcast every link that is you know important necessary interesting to you maybe is in our link tree on all of our bios um we will be back with another movie soon if it's nothing between this and thor it's going to be thor will be the next one but we might make it to the movies before that uh fingers crossed if you want to pick what we see in theaters next give some money to our coffee other than that it's good to be back i've been christian i've been julia And uh, we hope you guys have a great week. Bye. Bye.